time goes away, every day is copy paste. They all merge together into one long memory. Oh, it is. Oh, but particularly this spell right now, though. But yeah, yeah, it was probably the easiest, the easiest uh, in quotes job interview uh, of all time because I just happened to already have software that would let me do a job that I was not qualified for. It's the technique of if they ask you to do something, say yes and figure out how you'll do it later. Yeah, figure out how. Yeah, I, I've just done that again uh, yesterday, actually. I'm now, I'm now doing some uh, social media management as well. Wow. <laughs> I've never even done anything about but now I am. Add it to your LinkedIn. Get people to like recommend that you can do it. Uh, yeah, exactly, exactly. Okay, well, j- before we actually begin the show properly, you, you mentioned every day is a copy and paste at the moment. Yes. How is your lockdown going? How, how are you feeling? Doing okay, doing doing all right. Uh, I, I've t- my exercises have taken a hit. The routine somehow fell apart, even though I'm just living my <laughs> same regular life. Uh-huh. I think it's because I think it's because I moved everything around a bit, and my brain's taken a while to catch up to the new flat layout. Oh, you moved stuff around. Well, yeah, because I've got I've, I have I've got my well, not really new empty room, but my few months of an empty room. So I put all, all the workout gear in there. Oh, nice, excellent. But now I don't see it every day unless I go to that oh, I see. useless room. And that takes effort. A room without a use takes effort to go into that extra extra bedroom. I don't have that reminder, um, so I, I need to <laughs> need to figure out how to how to get my brain to just remember to do things. Uh, there's there's some aspects of of this lockdown which I would say are more difficult than the first one. The first one being, uh, or rather the first issue being the fact that the weather is terrible and when I go outside, I immediately want to go back inside. That does make it easier to stay inside. I, I know, which is kind of the point of lockdown, but I yeah, I would yeah. like to go outside sometimes. Indeed. It does, it helps. It, for me, it helps to just clear my mind and get some fresh air oh, instead it, it of, helps everybody. particularly some days this week where I've been inside working uh, way longer than I should have and then by the time it's... You know, my work's finished. It's half past seven and I can't be bothered going out because it's dark and cold and raining. Too late to go out. No, but going outside, it's good for, it's good for the body. You get yourself a, a, a walk in your local park and or like forest and or whatever nice area there is to walk in. And you'll be, you'll be healthier for it. I mean, that's true. But, but the other issue is that in my old flat in Deniston in the east end of Glasgow, I, I literally live next to some waste ground where clearly local garages were just fly-tipping their tyres. Indeed, indeed. And it was great because I would go out there every second or third day and just yeet some tyres into the air or, th- like, bounce them above my head. Oh, so, so you had a solid uh, film, film set-esque tyre workout. I was basically being one of those montage characters of, yeah. I don't know why the Pokemon theme song came to my head, but that would be playing and I'd be just launching tyres left, right and centre and all these images fading into one another and then, you know, me running to catch up with these tyres which are rolling away from me. That was the kind of person mm-hmm. I was portraying. So you're more of a Pokemon montage music person <laughs> than a Mulan montage music person. I was thinking more Rocky, but then I couldn't remember the Rocky song. It's Eye of the Tiger, that's what it is. Okay. Yeah. So I the tiger, and every time the guitar plays that power chord, I I, I punch uh, a tire or uh, or a local yeah. drunken resident who's wandered onto the waste ground. Yeah. Whereas now you live in nature, so you have to like punch a tree, right? And that hurts a bit. Or deer. Um, or a deer, and those guys fight back. I saw four deer the other day. It was amazing. <laughs> Sorry, I realized <laughs> that came out. <laughs> I came out like I was seven years old. But I did. It was great. You really sounded like me when I can't think straight. <laughs> but it was amazing. That was great. They were just over there, and they were. They were. I was like, "Oh look, there's some deer. Oh look, there's <laughs> there's another one behind it. Oh wait, there's two. Oh wait, there's four. Deer aren't that rare. Surely you've seen deer before. Not just like it's like standing over there chilling. You know, right. usually, okay. usually they see me and they they like it. All right, yeah. You know, sometimes, here. sometimes, uh, sometimes Graham is here and he attempts to feed them. Yeah, but of course, as soon as they see humans, they they like it. So I was very very All surprised. Right, so he doesn't like pull a handful of seeds out your pocket and be like, "Come on." No, I didn't have the the spare carrot. I usually take in my back oh, pocket. Yeah, 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 yeah. Just one of those times I forgot. Mm. It, it, okay. Yeah, it happens to us all. Right, well, dear listener, welcome to Seesaw Parade episode two three six. Now on Spotify, everybody. Thank you hey. to everyone who has uh, who now actually told me that they listen because it's on Spotify. Oh, so there nice. we go. We've actually increased our listenership. If you have listened to it on Spotify and you haven't told me, please let me know. <laughs> uh, I am Colin, and he is James on Spotify. Yeah, yeah, that's my new actual legal name. 
changed it by deed poll. You can mm-hmm. get in touch with Seesaw Parade uh, on Twitter at Seesaw Parade or Gmail, seesawparade at gmail.com. This yes. is, of course, your new favourite podcast, uh, mm-hmm. or Scotland's least dull podcast. Bring Indeed. back that tagline. Nice. With the longest running season one of any entertainment slash news politics being recorded in Scotland on a mainly weekly basis. So thank you very much for listening. Really do appreciate it. Yeah, genuinely. Uh, we had a few listener comments. Shanana got in touch to say, Cecil Parade, did you notice how many of the government's new drugs policies were actually mentioned in the email I sent you? Hey, oh, well Including done. the accountability for funds, uh, hashtag prescient, which someone else then misread as president. So, Shanahana for president. Shanahana for president, um, purely based off of good drug policy ideas. Actually, as, as a platform, I would vote for. <laughs> oh, so, so would I. Yeah. So would I. Shanahana for uh, Glasgow West or wherever it is you stay. I have no idea where you stay. Neither, neither do I. Edinburgh. Her Twitter says Scotland, so Shanana for Scotland. Edinburgh Central. Okay, anyway, she also replied to uh, our invitation to join us for streaming some Stardew Valley last Saturday, which was a lot of fun. Oh yeah, that was a fun time. It was, and she said, also, there's no chance I'm watching your Twitch stream. I'm too old and find watching other people play video games slightly less fun than gouging my eyes out. How many times have you gouged your eyes out? Where's the, <laughs> how are you measuring that? at that end of the scale there. It was uh, Boomer Energy was your reply and I, indeed, I indeed. agreed entirely. Uh, Izzy was also in Shanana's side. She, she, was, uh, she finds the behaviour very strange indeed, apparently. But I had fun. Nick, cla- absolute, absolute top-level boomership going on here. Uh, and, the, and the four people who watched us also had fun. They had a good time. I had a good time. It's, it's, most, it's mostly about enjoying the, the, the act of playing the game together and then if anybody else is just doing nothing they come and, they come and watch and interact with us because it's not just about watching it's about interacting you chat and we chat to you it's not, it's not yeah I don't I, I do appreciate when people come to the stream and just sit and watch it and I feel like why are you wasting your time doing this but I appreciate you doing it anyway but it's real fun just having a chat with whoever from anywhere in the world definitely I mean I I, I had nachos and my farmer had blue hair uh-huh. and I learned how to fish it was oh, great. Yeah, you eventually learned how to fish. We're not going to talk about that. <laughs> did did take me a, a long time in several uh, <laughs> step-by-step tutorials. Anyway, Seesaw Parade here with you every single week, uh, if I can find the time. And thank you very much for listening. If you disagree or have an opinion on anything mm-hmm. that we are about to discuss over the next uh, hour, 45 minutes-ish or so, and you can do, please get in touch. Let us know what your opinion is and why it's more important than ours. Or, or just more accurate, you know? I mean, I mean that counts as well. Yeah. James, shall we kick off? Let's, let's do. Well, James, we're going to start with the grim milestone that more than 100,000 people have died with COVID-19 in yeah. the UK. Yeah. Uh, this was on Wednesday. Prime Minister Boris Johnson said he took full responsibility for the government's actions, saying, we truly did everything we could. Nope. And he also added he was deeply sorry for every life that's been lost. The UK is the first European nation to pass the 100,000 death mark. Yeah. And uh, figures from the ONS showed on the basis of death certificates, it's actually higher. Probably. 104,000. Yeah. And this is, yeah, just the tip of the iceberg when you consider the amount of people who have, uh, are still suffering with the effects of long COVID, the amount of families who have now lost loved ones due to this. James, before we discuss anything else, Boris said, as you will have heard there, that the government did all they could. Mm-hmm. What are your feelings on that statement? Just like, I think the number one lie of the year so far. We should track it. <laughs> it's certainly up there. It, like, I don't think there's a bigger one coming, like, at least in UK po- political spheres. The US is entirely based on lies um, <laughs> since the start of the year. But I don't, I don't think that can be surpassed. There is so much they could do. Um, they recognize that themselves with their actions, having yep. undone several of the decisions they made every other month or every other week. Uh, I don't understand how you get away with saying something like that and have the media go, yeah, yeah, you did your best. Oh, well done, Boris. When they would lynch people for for suggesting that the NHS needed more tax money, you know? Uh, okay. It, it makes no sense. And 
there didn't need to be even a hundred deaths in the UK with how much of an advantage we had with where we are, our geopolitical setup, how much control we have, and how far away we were from the initial massive outbreaks. There was no need for this. Yeah. So if you're taking responsibility, surely that means you quit and you disappear and you don't do uh, any public anything ever again because you're just so ashamed of okay. how poor, poorly you've done. Well, he is in Scotland or was in Scotland. We'll get to that in just a second. Oh, well, yeah. A couple of thoughts on, on what you've just said. The first one being that the coverage of Boris announcing that uh, the UK had passed 100,000 deaths was almost like a... Oh, look at Boris. He, he they, tried they so, so hard. They did so hard. It's a shame. He did such a... A valiant effort. You know... Well done. It's only a few deaths, really, in the grand scheme. Uh, he, he tried hard. So, temper that with, let's imagine Jeremy Corbyn was the Prime Minister. Yeah. And the UK had managed to get to the same milestone. Imagine the coverage no, of no, that. No. If the UK ha- managed to hit 10,000 cases under Jeremy Corbyn, it would have been seen as a failure. I, I remember the days when, in the early stages of the, of the pandemic, the government's advisors were saying, if we get to 20,000 deaths, we'll have done a good job. And the stories that followed after we went past 20k. Now we're at 100k. Yeah. And s- people are still dying in their thousands, or at least over a thousand, every single day. Yeah. And who have we got holding them to account? Are any of the opposition party really doing it? There's like one or two tweets every now and then. Is the media doing it? No. We got Piers Morgan. That is our our knight in shining armor in terms of holding anybody to account. I cannot believe it. I mean, I'm happy that every now and then you can agree with the scum of the earth and actually have the same side as them because they've they've chosen the correct path for once is great uh-huh. but surely somebody else aside from Piers Morgan should be more capable of holding people to account for this disaster I know this is a, a very much a tangent and let's all remember that Piers Morgan was the editor of a paper that hacked the voicemails of dead children however mm. as you say James we have seen uh, uh, an about turn from Piers during the uh, the course of the pandemic. He's now uh, arch enemy number one with uh, Trump, and as you say, I often see clips on Twitter of of him asking direct questions of politicians. And in today's case, yeah, them just saying no, okay, I need to, I I need to go on another call, okay, bye bye, goodbye, uh, okay, off I go. After the uh, the minister, I can't remember her name. Uh, said that the UK was too old and too fat, and that's why we'd reached 100,000 deaths before everybody else. And Piers was rightly saying, hold on a second, are you then saying it's the British public's fault? And she accused him of uh, of offending the, the British public. Uh-huh. But as you say, it's, it's a valid point. We're in a, a strange time and place when I'm looking at things that Piers Morgan is, is saying and the questions he's asking and saying, you know what? He's actually asking the right questions. Yeah. However, back, sorry. Why aren't the rest of them asking those questions? <laughs> I don't know. Back to the point. Boris said the government have done all they can. That is blatantly a lie. Yeah. As we've covered over the last almost year, there have been weeks and weeks of warnings in advance of things that were happening and were about to happen and were going to happen if uh, things were left unchecked. And then weeks later, weeks too late. Yeah. Lo and behold, prediction comes true. The most recent one of which being uh, the the Sage Committee's prediction on December eighteenth that they needed the UK needed to go into an instant lockdown to prevent yeah. uh, further deaths and and trauma and and cases. And then almost three weeks later, England went into lockdown. Mm-hmm. By which case, cases daily cases had doubled, and we've added an extra thirty thousand deaths to the death toll. Yeah. And now we're and now we're looking at oh we should maybe close the airports yeah we should maybe make sure people have tested negative before they get free access to the nation it is ridiculous that we're at this point where we're only now doing things we should have done at the very start yeah and Boris comes out and says we did everything we could no you didn't yeah absolutely did not it's a lie. I mean, they're still not doing some of this stuff that early on when we were talking about the virus when it wasn't super scary yet. We were saying, hey, they can still implement these things to put this to a halt now before it en- even enters the UK, really. And they still haven't done those things. They still yeah. aren't doing enforced quarantines. I mean, I guess they can't because there's so many cases. They still aren't protecting uh, 
the or making sure that we're not ha having positive cases entering the country or at least trying to yeah there's so many things and two tiny little uneducated brains on a podcast have a list of things that they still haven't done <laughs> so it it cannot be everything that it could have possibly done if we <laughs> thought of some of this stuff or 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 have gathered the info about some of this stuff and shared it and and they still aren't doing it how dare you call me un uneducated? I went to Glasgow Caledonian, I'll have you know. Sorry, mildly uneducated. <laughs> That's better. Okay, my point, James, is we were talking about people who should be self-isolating and, and the government's role in that. Yeah. Uh, a point that has been raised time and time again, and I feel we fail to really cover it, is people who are simply unable to self-isolate because they can't afford to. Yeah. Because they need to keep working... Yeah, because there's no financial or or little financial incentive. Yeah, uh, to to actually do that, so they have to continue working, and therefore the the disease keeps spreading. Uh, and that is no, yeah. as opposed to being the fault of the of people for you know working in jobs which require them to actually be there and work and and to get that money so that they can and their family can survive. Mm -hmm. That is down to the government failing to put in place. Uh, a robust enough yeah. system that covers all these eventualities. No, yeah, I, I think we've covered, we've talked about it enough times that there hasn't been enough support for the everyday person from the government. There hasn't been enough support for them socially or financially to actually isolate since day one. We've talked about that a few times before. Um, and then there's not even enough effort being put in to ensure that their workplaces are safe or that they are being asked to go into workplaces that where that would actually be essential. There's all sorts of things yep. that are making isolation a huge challenge for a, a very significant percentage of the population. And it's all stuff that the government could have helped with or could have controlled and didn't. And will then say it's the fault of the public rather than take any of the blame themselves. Okay, you've, you've put another link in here before we talk about Boris in Scotland. Indeed. Uh, this is a story that more than 60 suspected COVID outbreaks in offices were recorded in the first two weeks of the current lockdown. Mm. Uh, so, so James, just, just talk me through this then. It's similar to what we've discussed in the past, and I'm mostly just using this as a formal entry into the we were right and the government is dumb uh, category of things. Uh, we and many other people have been saying there haven't been enough, uh, there hasn't been enough assurances that workplaces are safe before they're telling all their staff they need to go in, especially large offices. We everybody's been saying that that is one of the major causes of outbreaks and COVID cases that, and the government isn't making sure that people are safe. And we've got a whole bunch of workplaces that to save a couple of thousand on some laptops to send home are making people come into work. We've now seen that the offices ahead of everything, restaurants, um, pubs, ahead of like schools and, and, and everything are the main cause of large outbreaks in the workplace. Um, and it's just I, another case of everybody being correct as all knowing that clearly this is a problem, nothing getting done about it. And now we've got the statistics to prove it, but it's too late. They should have had the changes in place forever ago. Now we'll see if there will be any reaction to this at all. Okay, well, linked to that then, of course, is the news that Boris Johnson, the Prime Minister, decided that travelling to Scotland was a crucial journey and has insisted... Indeed, super, super, super important. <laughs> yeah, so it was a, he's, a, he's um, a key worker having to go and thank people in person when he, he definitely couldn't have done that virtually, but hey-ho. Mm -hmm. So he, on the back of this, has insisted that Scotland's independence debate is irrelevant to most people. Indeed. As he's urged everybody to unite against COVID. What even would independence be, Boris asks? What would happen to the pound, Boris asks? Or the armed forces? Well, like, we would have liked to talk to you about it <laughs> for the past, I don't know, several years. Indeed. But we keep getting shut down. <laughs> So the, the SNP in response said he was panicking <laughs> as opinion polls over the last few months have consistently shown declining support for the union and First Minister Nicola Sturgeon also questioned if his trip was even essential. I don't know what he did. He he, he went here and there. He, he held a couple of interviews. He, he should have just stayed home. So he started his day by going to a lab which uh, processes COVID tests. Uh, uh, he yes. then visited some troops who are setting up a vaccination centre in Castle Milk in the south side. Mm -hmm. And he mm -hmm. turned he toured a vaccine factory 
in Livingston, and he, he used his visit to argue the priority should be fighting the pandemic and coming back more strongly together, which is like an upgrade of better together. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he said we should be doing that instead of arguing about the constitution. Yeah, I don't, th- I, I don't understand why they keep sending Boris places to try and make support for independence go down. Um, Boris just being Boris and leading the absolute failure of a nation that we have become has done more to push people towards a pro-independence position than yeah. anything else in the past. Same goes for like uh, unifying Ireland. Boris has done more to progress that discussion by being so incompetent and being such a public failure than hundreds of years of talks and stuff like that. Well, not hundreds, but you know what I mean. But they keep sending Boris places and I don't understand it. I don't I don't see their point, but I'm happy that they are doing it because it keeps reminding us of the failure of the system and that they lied to us in the previous referendum and that all the things they promised us, they delivered one out of every eight or 10 or whatever. You know, seeing Boris for everybody is a reminder of the lies and the uh, injustice and the inequality of our current system. And I'm happy to keep thinking he's a good figurehead because it uh, helps people have a realistic opinion of the UK. I doubt it's actually achieving what they want it to, though. Okay, James, how much do you know about stock markets? More than I did a couple of weeks ago. (laughs) Ain't that the truth? Okay, this is the story. The stock market has gone crazy for uh, an ailing games retail company. This is uh, GameStop, which if you have been keeping up with anything that's been happening on social media in the last few days, uh, has been abuzz with the tale of a bunch of people on Reddit who decided to invest in this teeny wee company, which lots of uh, Wall Street bankers had betted would go down in value yeah, yeah, and yeah. decided to chuck their money into it so it's rocketed uh, up the um, into the, the top 500 companies in the States in value <laughs> yeah. and uh, a bunch of Wall Street firms have lost billions. So James, there is much more to the story in terms of the technical side of things than I can really be bothered explaining. Right. But essentially... What what I'll break this down to was okay. in, in 2019. I did a lot of reading into this. I found it fascinating. Yeah. 2019. Yeah. This guy on Reddit, on this uh, page called Wall Street Bets. Wall Street Bets. Uh, uh, yeah, a wonderful place if you need entertainment. <laughs> Indeed, uh, it seems to be a place where people celebrate their outrageous. Uh, gambles on the stock market whether and, successful or not oh yeah exactly and then share the mostly not hilarious losses and the yeah. staggering amount of money that people lose on this so yeah. this guy in 2019 said hey I've put $50,000 into GameStop yeah. shares now at this point this is a, a company which at bricks and mortar you can see them in most malls in the states selling but no online presence yeah no online presence selling games uh, and if you Take in your old games, they'll give you some pennies for it. So a business not set for the future of the internet. Precisely. And it has been losing value ever since. However, this guy was insistent that the company was actually undervalued Mm -hmm. by the stock market. For good reasons. And eventually, oh yeah, and eventually it would rise. Also realizing that GameStop was one of the most heavily shorted companies in the entire index uh, on Wall Street. So... When it, when it says shorted, I'm going to give you my best explanation here, which you may have read on, on various Twitters and Instagrams, but I'm going to I try. I don't hear your one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. James, you have uh, you have uh, a... Co- Wait, gonna, <laughs> off to a good start. <laughs> Solid start. I was trying to think of something I could buy. Here we go. Yes. James, you have a ukulele. I ate two of them, actually. And uh, you, want another, you want another ukulele. Oh, okay. Yeah, sure. And I say, right, I'm going to go buy this ukulele. It cost me 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna I'm gonna uh, hold on to it for the time being. Yes. And you say okay. And then, unbeknownst to you, I sell the ukulele back to the shop, and I get my ten pounds back. Yeah. And I wait, and I wait because I think the ukuleles are going to go down in price. They're going to go on sale. Yeah, they're going to go on sale exactly, and they're going to be a fiver. Wow. And then when when you say, hey, Colin, where where's my ukulele at? I can say, oh, it's right here. Mm-hmm. I go back to the shop, I get my £5 ukulele, and I've made £5 myself. Yes. You see, that's shorting stocks. You make a bit of profit, you wait for the 
You wait for the price to go down. Yeah, very similar, except I would have had to charge you a fee for loaning the money, so you would have only made like £4 profit, (laughs) and and I'd have gotten my feedback. uh, And also, you technically are buying the ukulele from me to resell, to then buy back and return to me. Come on, right. You're you're making this overly complicated. My simplistic situation is better. However, (laughs) what's now happened is that I sold the ukulele back to the, st- the shop. I've got my £10. I'm waiting for the ukulele to go back in price. And then suddenly all of Reddit says, hey, everybody, go buy ukuleles. Yeah, huge demand. Price inflates. And now ukuleles cost £1,000. My goodness. And James says, hey, Colin, where's my ukulele at? And I did tell you, I said to you, I- I've got your ukulele. So now I have to spend a grand to get you your ukulele. And I've just made an enormous loss and then give me a one pound fee back and the one pound fee yeah you're right and so imagine this except i don't know what's what's the 10 times version of quadruple well it's just it's just it's just it's it's huge huge amounts and oh, it's, it's not only unreal yeah not only did you, you borrow one ukulele and promise to give one ukulele back through sheer confidence you promised to give 1.4 ukuleles back <laughs> Uh, 1.4. Because the shorters went so heavily in on GameStop tanking that they bought and sold and rebought and resold stocks. Yeah. Um, so that they were actually in more than a hundred percent. That's that's mental. Which means that they have to buy back a couple of times and then give you back a couple of times. Okay. So that is essentially a really bad explanation of what's going on, indeed. Yes. <laughs> a real a really bad explanation. But essentially this Reddit page, after all this time, now in the early 2021. Yeah, yeah. We're convinced yeah. to go all in on this on this stock, uh, and also there was a couple other brands which got caught up in it. AMC, who is an American cinema chain, and uh, Nokia yeah. as well were were some of the other firms. Yeah, Blockbuster want want that sweet dollar as well. <laughs> oh, they, um, oh, they do. Now I'm I'm going to throw a little bit of uh, water in the fire here. Wait, wait, um, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. Okay, uh, I've not finished. I've not finished. Let me finish the narrative. Okay. Go, 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 go. So on the back of this. The uh, GameStop price rockets up and all the Wall Street firms who had shorted GameStop, expecting it to go down, were now losing, in some cases, $1.6 billion in the space of a day. Yeah. So uh, I believe it was the one of the firms called Melvin, Melvin something, yeah, yeah, essentially yeah. declared themselves bankrupt yeah. in the space of a day because they'd been so heavily shorted. Yeah. The value of GameStop goes up 700%. It's now worth $300 billion or, or some ridiculous figure, which I think was maybe worth $90 million at the at the start of yeah, 2020. Yeah, the board is just selling because they're, they're <laughs> the ones that are really the winners here. They are, they are making all the money in the world. Michael Burry, who is uh, best known for his... Uh, fictional portrayal of by Christian Bale in The Big Short was also one of these uh, investors who was cashing in. Yeah. Now, as this chaos continued to to unfold, the behind the scenes big old corporate capitalism machine yeah. start moving. They go, oh wait, wait, wait! None of these people are us. We can't <laughs> let the not us people have money. Correct. So, in a, a sort of a chain reaction, uh, Discord uh, booted. The Wall Street Bets server, they booted them off yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then we had Robinhood, who is the, uh, the the app that people use in America to buy their stocks, limited people from buying the GameStop sto- uh, sh- stocks, mm. as well as the AMC ones, Nokia. Mm, and who owns Robinhood? Hmm. So, yes, and then you look into who owns Robinhood and James, who was it? Or who is it? It's just basically another hedge fund. <laughs> it is, yeah, it is. <laughs> who are invested right. in keeping the stock market exactly as it always works. Um, exclusively for profiting they, them and their clients. Uh, and then suddenly there were tales on social media that actually this Reddit page had ties to far-right people and it was this and it was that and it was oh, this. Man, yeah. And ultimately, it's a huge page. The, 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 the price has started to drop. However, James, we are recording this Friday afternoon. Yeah. It is on the rise again, but this looks yes. like it's going to be another volatile day. So with all that said, it has been a, a, a week in which the idea that... Um, Markets can be manipulated, which apparently was news to people on Wall Street. <laughs> no, no. What was news to them was that markets could be manipulated by not them. Yeah, by people <laughs> other than them. 
Correct. <laughs> this is their bread and butter. This was their whole idea. Was wasn't just wasn't just like to short something. It's to short something and then manipulate it so the short actually works. Yeah. They just failed the second half. Right. So so to me, it was a case of the bankers essentially got a taste of their own medicine and then went to yes. the press slash daddy and said, Hey, this isn't fair. Shut them down. Who, who, who are these poor people making money? We need regulations. We need regulations to make sure people can't manipulate the market like we do. And then we had a bunch of politicians come out to say, hold on, we need to look at Robin Hood yeah. and this app, which is limiting people buying the stocks. For what reason? Because Wall Street didn't like poor people making money. That's that's literally why. Yeah, most people. Okay. With water on fire, go. People, well, yeah, okay, we'll do water on fire. Robin Hood probably broke the law. Oh, really? Uh, they they won't. This won't go down well. Um, like maybe they can weasel their way out of it because very deliberately, all legislation surrounding the market is very loose. Right. And that's the way it's designed so that Wall Street can manipulate things whenever they need to. Um. So they might get away with it, but but by all accounts, most people who are being honest about the situation are saying that what they did was illegal by by like uh, shutting down the normies and allowing uh, Wall Street to have its own little free freedom of movement. Like that's that's clearly clearly breaking the law. Yeah, I reckon. However, against most of the trend, like I am a hundred percent on board with people in the lower classes making money off of a stupid gamble by by Wall Street. <laughs> Yep. Right. That's great. I, however, it's not the the poorest that are making the the, the mint here. I'm glad there are a few of them are are go, are on the wave and are going to make a good chunk of money out of this. Uh-huh. Um, but the people who are making the most is just the other Wall Street folks who bet against the short and the other super rich people who are jumping on the bandwagon. People who can buy and manipulate like hundreds of thousands. Uh, in a in a day rather than like a couple of yeah. hundred pounds or dollars, um, it's, it's not it's not as big of a deal for the everyman as we think it is. I hope it does change the market. I hope we do see regulations coming off the back of this, but I hope that the regulations aren't just targeted at hey. You're not a corporation. You don't get to do things freely. You don't have a hedge. Yeah, basically. Um, it however has been very cathartic to see a bunch of people with more money than they know how to spend cry on the TV to their little media friends who usually yep. prop up their every word and who now haven't got any words that they can prop up. <laughs> there's a there's a level to this that is very satisfying to see. Um, however, I'm pretty sure it's just people who already had money that will make the most out of this situation. And GameStop, not a company worth saving, scummy <laughs> business model. Um, the good news is that they aren't really going to get anything out of this, <laughs> the company itself. Right. Uh, the only thing they get is a better financial rating so they can borrow money a bit easier, you know? Um, yep. I hate the whole system, so it's nice to see it catch fire for a few days. Okay, so just just a few further thoughts. Elon Musk was uh, one of the most high-profile people to get involved in this, tweeting about it. A he, bit he, slow. He was a slow. A bit slow for Muskie, especially because he hates shorters so much. I thought he'd get on this a bit sooner. But certainly his influence and his tweeting helped actually influence the stock price, as it has in the past with Tesla. <laughs> Which is, like, shady as well, by the way. Again, totally not allowed... <laughs> But he's Elon Musk. He can he, if he does it, he's fine. Yeah. He can do it. Apparently. Well, no, it's it's the idea of on one side there's a bunch of people doing shady stock market manipulation out of a place of greed so that they can be rich, and then the other side there's a bunch of people doing shady stock market manipulation because they noticed somebody being greedy and were like, "We're gonna get you." Yeah. So so you're right, James, in that there will be. You know, GameStop at the moment, at its current price, is vastly overvalued. Yeah. And so it will eventually go down. Yeah. Which means that some people are going to lose a lot of money. And some of those people will be ordinary people. Yes. You know, the, the fact that Robin Hood, this app, was actually meant to be in the UK right now, but uh, they halted their rollout because one of their users killed themselves after mistakenly thinking that they had lost $75,000 on the app. Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, so so that's why it's not uh, in the UK yet. But it wasn't just Robin Hood. It was Trading 212. Uh, it was a couple of other big name firms. And even today, the Financial Conduct Authority in the UK has said that they are watching closely mm, what mm-hmm. is happening with GameStop and telling people not to not to get involved. Yeah, no. Apparently, the White House is also monitoring the situation. Well, they were, the Congress is chatting about it as well, talking about how, how shady the thing that, that um, Robin Hood did and they're going to be investigating it. Um, th- we should see huge changes in this. We're probably going to see people trying to bring lawsuits on both sides, uh, attacking the yeah. others for their manipulations of different things. Um, there's a lot to be said for being pro all the people who were doing things publicly because they were doing things in a open platform. It wasn't like behind the scenes manipulations. They didn't yeah. hear yeah. about COVID and then short sell the US, for example. And again, this is a macro, a micro of the macro of why people were invested in tanking Britain. I hope that this helps everybody understand why tanking Britain was going to be profitable for some people. Because it's just the same as these guys' attempt at tanking GameStop. The problem was that some guy, deep value to censor's name a little bit, noticed and saw that GameStop was being underestimated because GameStop had recently had a new shareholder who bought 12. 5% of the shares or something like that and got three new board members on and it was somebody who was very much in line with e-commerce yep. and esports gaming and all the rest of that. So GameStop was going to go up even without any of this or at, ve- at the very least plateau because of the new management and the new direction they were going to try and take. And especially since COVID hadn't actually had as much of an effect on the businesses as people expected, the short, the bet that the shorters put on this was dumb in the first place. And the fact that it's been so heavily uh, pushed back on is just funny. They were going to lose, and it's just actually funny watching them lose harder. I do feel sorry for all the people uh, whose money has been lost and who may not be able to reclaim uh, the money that they risked by giving it to a business to do shady things with. Um, I feel sorry for them, but I also feel sorry for everybody on Reddit who's who's bought in a bit too late and will struggle to make their money back when it comes time to actually sell the shares. Um, there's a lot of people who who are just doing this for the hype. I, I hope that nobody's over-invested, but there will be. There will be some tragic stories on both sides coming out of this, uh, but also some huge big victories for one or two uh, very significant people. That was an excellent summary. I've got so much more. I tried to keep it down. I've, I've, because my job requires so much rendering. I just, I've been reading this for hours a day. <laughs> well, look, well, one final question then. When it comes to Discord chucking the people off this server, as we've seen from other, you know, Robin Hood's just one of a few places which have essentially censored yeah. uh, the Wall Street bets, this group. What do you make of that? Because that to me does seem almost like someone behind the scenes at a number a of these. Yeah, at a number of these organizations or outlets has said, right, we need to put a stop to this. This isn't the way that Wall Street works. Yeah. Chuck them off. They they are they're they're it's, it's they're trying everything they can to make it stop uh, going beyond even using the market. So I don't know how they managed to convince Discord to do it. Yeah. However, knowing the kinds of posts that I've seen in Wall Street Bets on the subreddit, I'm not in the Discord. I can only assume that the Discord is even more degenerate and probably even more terms breaking. So I'm not surprised that there may be a, enough stuff within the Discord that wasn't getting moderated strongly enough that Discord just went, yeah, actually, easy peasy, we can get rid of you uh-huh. for whatever reason they, they wanted to in the first place. Uh, I'm not surprised at the repercussions. And I hope that in the future, whenever the rich and the wealthy tell us all that any one of us can be rich so long as we just do things right and invest our money smartly, that we all go, you don't really mean that. Because everybody did it this one time and you cried and tried to shut it down. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Moving on, we still have uh, some uh, a trailer to look at, Godzilla vs. Kong, and a couple of reviews. But before we get there, AstraZeneca, uh, let's go there. There's a, a, oh, yeah. a row unfolding between AstraZeneca and the EU. This was after the head of the company uh, defended its rollout of the vaccine whilst also admitting that his team, who are working 24-7 to fix the issues, are two months behind schedule. They're behind, yeah. Which is obviously tension-causing with several member states who are demanding the supply that they uh, are owed, apparently. Uh, so yeah, we've had uh, the, someone from the EU, it was the, the chief executive, I should say, uh, who came out to say that the contract had been signed with the EU, although the UK one had been signed first. And so now there's this awkward situation where 
The UK has a bunch of AstraZeneca vaccines with more on the way, and the EU are still waiting, or several several countries in the EU are still waiting for their first doses. Yeah. And so now there's talk of, oh, well, we're going to stop vaccines at the border. We're going to turn them around and get them to the places they need them. I, all I can really say to this in terms of the contract is that the contract looks pretty weakly written. It's not very well defined. At some points, it's talking about manufacturing and supply for the EU. And then it says, and for the purposes of this part of the contract, the UK is in the EU. And then later on, it just says the EU and forgets to add the addendum. Okay. And therefore, AZ are coming out and going, look, it doesn't say the UK at this part. So we're, we are upholding the contract and the EU is going, oh, the UK is clearly implied because of the other parts of the contract. Uh, there's, there's just, it's a bunch of confusion. If if the EU starts stopping vaccines at the border, I think that they, they're going to be in a bit of trouble. This is a failure of the EU. Yep. Uh, a strange and un, unexpected slight victory um, for the UK in terms of getting something signed a bit quick. Um, I doubt there's going to be much that people can do maybe i'll be surprised but having read just very quickly the contract and seeing just a couple of things that are quite contradictory or just not consistent i i don't think there's going to be much in terms of in a solid interpretation of it that can be taken to court because it seems very washy yeah j- just on this point I-, I saw the news today that um the uk had ordered 30 million doses of a Belgian vaccine and it's just come back from its trials yeah, with yeah. 66% efficacy. And there was another trial in, in I believe, in Scotland which found it was 89% effective yes, yes, against this new variant. So my question is, and I can imagine for the, the vaccine creators themselves, the manufacturers, when they see you know the, the, the big dogs, the Pfizer, come out and say, ours is 95% effective, and then you do your own study and you find that your one's only 66% effective, it must be slightly demoralizing, but you've already signed a contract, so it's fine. Yeah, yeah, no, it's fine for them. That was the brave thing about a lot of countries, the UK included, was agreeing to pay all this and sign all these contracts before we knew the results, yeah. and before we had the full tests. That's why this is all rolling out so fast, just not fast enough because production, as always, has hitches. Um, I and The UK is going to get more vaccines than we need at the end of the day. And I imagine what we're going to do is ship the rest off to desperate countries who can't afford their own vaccine programs. Uh, if the EU is still that kind of a place, maybe the EU will get some vaccines from us. Well, I think the UN said last week that actually it's going to be these uh, smaller countries who are going to suffer the most because all the rich ones have bought all the vaccines. They've bought all the vaccines, yeah. What about everyone else? The rollout can't start in the smaller countries that couldn't afford it until the the big ones are done and happy and are willing to share their bountiful supply of vaccines. In a perfect Um, world, the vaccines would have gone out on a, I don't know, proportional... A proportional level yeah rather than a yeah proportional population rather than money <laughs> but 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 this is how it goes that we talked yeah. about reddit just a minute ago it's about who has the most money they're the ones who run it uh some places like you know uh, i think jordan has started vaccinating or giving vaccines beyond its borders to those in need and um, i'm not sure who else has uh, there's a wee bit of that going on it, it is a shame that some it's not even a shame it's 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 like heartbreaking that there are vast areas of the world that won't see an effective vaccine for months yet, even though they're densely populated, even though they're high risk, you know. Meanwhile, we're here going like, our vaccine rollout is better than 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 England's than England says it is, and then we're going to have to publish the stats now. And England goes, no, you guys suck, and we're like, just quit, just roll it out and get it done and send it over to other people. <laughs> okay, James, one more story before we move on to something lighter. Uh, Joe Biden, of course, has been a busy man. He's been signing lots of lots of executive orders. He's done a lot of things, more than ever before. <laughs> Undoing all the things that Trump did. And uh, one of those things is to do with Yemen. And this was uh, during the Senate confirmation for the Secretary of State, uh, Antony Blinken, 
who said that uh, the new president, President Biden, and their administration would end U.S. support for Saudi Arabia's military intervention in Yemen. Yes, Which, uh, in, in the words of the Secretary of State, had contributed to the worst humanitarian situation anywhere in the world. Now, James, yep. I was going to say that this is refreshing, but that's definitely not the right word choice. But you see what I mean? No, it's just like, hey, there's a wee bit of improvement. They've, they've stopped doing something truly despicable. Yep. It would be better if they, like, tried to do something good rather than just stopped doing the real bad thing. Um, Maybe that's what they're planning next. I find that that's a lot of what Biden's administration is so far. It's just, hey, we've stopped doing the bad thing. Uh, But they aren't really doing any of the, let's start doing the good stuff instead. They're forgetting that half. So on the on the Yemen front then, for for people who, and I wouldn't blame you for this because it's barely in the news. We've talked uh, about it. I know we've lot, talked like, about it. Just just every now and then we've dipped into this and it seems like forever now. I don't know when we started talking about this. Uh, alas, James, as much as we may want to, to be this media news source, we are yet to <laughs> get to that stage. However, I know. It, it is not like it's it's the front page of the BBC News. It's maybe no. a, a clickable link on the right-hand side, and it's certainly not on the likes of the Daily Mail. I mean, no wonder, because we still supply Saudi Arabia with, with weapons. <laughs> we well, still yeah. trade with them. So... So to me, if you're learning about this, it is the worst humanitarian crisis in the world. Yeah. Uh, the UN have, have repeatedly asked for for the help and intervention of other countries into this. I believe two million people have been displaced. Something like three hundred thousand people have been killed. Yeah. Massive vast majority famine. of them civilians. Huge amount of disease. And then, yeah, and then in amongst all this, you've just had natural disasters which have reduced this country to a, a, a total wreck. Yeah. And we've had Western nations go out and shake the hands of Saudi princes and, uh, you know, put on entertainment shows like WWE, just yeah. flying out to Riyadh to perform in front of, yeah. I don't know, 90,000 people because they've paid them just a truckload of money. Yeah. So this is, whilst you say, James, is not the, hey, let's go out and do a good thing. It is a step in the right direction. It's just, yes, they were doing less bad in this one instance. That's good, but like, we need to be doing the good stuff. And the UK is further behind. The UK, the UK, I believe, we we talked about maybe stopping selling weapons to Saudi Arabia, but I don't think we committed to it. Last I remember, we still sell them. It's disgusting. If any country is actively being evil, you got to stop trading with them. Uh, James, time is ticking away, so let's move on to our final section, which is uh, the world of entertainment. We have a a movie trailer to start with, uh, a refreshing look at something brand new, which is coming to streaming uh, in March time, and then we'll get on to what we've been watching. So, the movie is Godzilla vs. Kong. Yes! (laughs) Movie, you never knew you didn't want but it's here anyway so this is the get out of here this is the hold on all right just just a second this is the culmination of the godzilla franchise which i believe is now two films deep this will be its third one indeed and uh, kong which i want to say has only just had one one film which was yes yes which is kong skull island which came out a surprisingly good film yeah it's it's good fun Uh, it came out a couple years ago uh, the Godzilla first, the first Godzilla film I thought it was sucked. okay, and the second one was terrible. Sucked as well. So uh, my hopes for this are rock bottom. Let's have a listen to the trailer. And this child, she's the only one he'll communicate with. I knew that they had a bond. She had nowhere to go, so I made a promise to protect her. some way Kong did the same it's Godzilla right James please make sense to me what was happening in this trailer and why we need this movie nah it's just like one of the dumbest cheapest forms of entertainment available (laughs) Like, they're not trying to make a serious film anymore. When they did the Godzilla, the first one, and then this reboot, they tried to make it semi-serious. It sucked. They did. The second one, they were like, okay, monsters can fight monsters, but we're still going to make it, like, gritty. It sucked. 
This one, they're just going 100%, monster versus monster, big explosions, there's a neon city all of a sudden, the bad guys are bad because they're bad, uh, and like it's, and they're also doing a bait and switch. This isn't Godzilla, this is t- definitely, and if I'm wrong, wait, wait, I'll wait, be wait, a bit wait. upset. Hold on, so you're saying that this, the, the, the dragon character who's, who's breathing fire... And all this is not actually Godzilla. And looks exactly like Godzilla. It's Mecha Godzilla. Who? Mecha Godzilla. It's like a stepbrother. Robot Godzilla. A robot? No, like the humans have made themselves a Godzilla. Some bad guys in the world have made themselves a robot Godzilla. And and it's it's gone rogue. Or like they're making it go rogue. And then King, they're going to get Kong to come save the day. And it's going to be going weird. And then real Godzilla is going to save the day. And it's going to be great. You know what? This is going to be the dumbest film of the year. I am surprised they're pulling off the bait and switch if they are. Um, but this, this is it's approaching levels of self-aware dumb and kind of stylistic <laughs> film that is going to be good because of the, they actually are caring about the color and the lighting and this and things. It's not just trying to make it all look like handheld shaky cam right. and dark gray room environments. Okay, so your prediction is that that's not actually Godzilla. It's a robot Godzilla. And then yeah. real Godzilla will do what? He'll come back from his prison? He'll be friends with Kong and they'll they'll team up and take down the bad Mecha Godzilla. Oh, uh, what? And then they'll, they'll like tear into his flesh and realize he's just like a bunch of people standing on each other's shoulders, operat- <laughs> yeah, no, operating it's not the arms. Mecha Godzilla, it's human Godzilla. <laughs> okay. <laughs> to to me, I think the story of this film is oh okay, there's Godzilla. Oh, there's Kong. Oh, they're gonna have a big fight. Oh wait, there's someone even bigger that they need to nah. they need to bash in, out of existence. Let's yeah. let's make them team up and let's realize up, yeah. that they're friends all along. Yeah. That would be the cheap. That would be the cheap film. Uh, we're going for like one point five. Not even like not even like two times better than that. One point five. Like there's this this level to it. They they actually care. Godzilla fundamentally is not the bad guy. Like that. That's just that's just fact. He does a like, lot of <laughs> bad things in some of the films. He is just a big stompy monster in a lot of them. But um, there's a lot to there's a lot to it of Godzilla just being the force of nature, right? And then Mecha Godzilla being uh, the embodiment of man's evil, and then Godzilla coming in and destroying the embodiment of man's evil alongside his buddy Big Monkey. Okay, <laughs> uh, yeah, I I could see that happening. It does mean that you the film would have a human antagonist, which I would say it sorely needs because otherwise you're just yeah. watching two giant monsters fight each other. Yeah. I would say though that, James, for this film to work, it has to retain a lot of the elements of that first Kong film, which is Kong Skull Island. Oh, yeah. Which, as you say, was 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 good. <laughs> kind of. Yeah, it didn't take itself seriously. It just, it just tried to be entertaining. And it wasn't trying to be. F- it was trying to be funny, but not in a Star Wars forced way. It yep. was just trying to be a bit goofy. Um, it made a couple of dumb jokes. Uh, it discarded characters left and right. That was a good. That was a good call. If you're in a monster movie, discard your characters. Just just have them be chucked off a cliff. Um, <laughs> and it, and it all worked. It, like as you said, it all worked. So they need to be doing a similar thing here of just like aim for entertainment and this is going to be successful right if it was getting a normal release in a normal world this would make an absolute pile of money so so that i know this is only going to be going on streaming and i i think it's hbo max i might be wrong in which i think so you pay a certain flat fee and so it will make as you say a, a much smaller amount than it would have done if it was released worldwide but this is the world we're currently in yeah and having watched the trailer i have a little more than a passing interest in watching this movie because I'm going to watch it. I think I'm just done with cities being overrun and top buildings toppling and things smashing true, true. and giant monsters yeah. fighting each other. Yeah. I mean maybe it's just me getting old, but I just don't have an interest in that. So if if it's available and if I get the opportunity to watch it, of course I would, but I'm not going to seek it out, especially after seeing this. Exactly. I'm not going to be watching this because I'm expecting 10 out of 10 Oscar-worthy cinema or I'm expecting my viewpoint on the world to be shifted and changed dramatically. I'm just expecting mindless fun. It's okay. a very low-level expectation. Um, if, like, For example, if I went into the most recent Star Wars films expecting mindless fun, I might have liked them. <laughs> I didn't. But this film, I'm expecting that, and therefore it can be so bad and I will still enjoy it. Okay, talking of bad Disney films, I have watched two over the last week. 
Wow. Talking of films you shouldn't seek out and watch unless you're absolutely forced to, they are Pirates of the Caribbean, Dead Man's Chest, and Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End, which is films two and three in the franchise. I read I read that the second one wrong there. I thought you I thought you watched the the pretty decent Simon Pegg adventure. Uh, no, no, that indeed is it's called the World's End. Um, world, it's called World's End, or World's End, yeah. Uh, as opposed to at World's End. No, this is the, yeah. this is the double header Pirates of the Caribbean movie. So <laughs> uh, you watched two of those in one week. That's a mistake. <laughs> yes, yes, we did. This is uh, continuing the current theme of just watching through franchises I haven't seen in a long time. Uh, this one on the back of Curse of the Black Pearl, which is legitimately a good film and good fun. They just got it all wrong in these two films. So let me just break mm. down why I believe the, the, these films are a mess. First of all, yes. they're far too long. Mm-hmm. That third film is almost as long as as Endgame or Infinity War, and it's just completely mm-hmm. unnecessary. It's huge. The second aspect of why they got this wrong, I counted at least a dozen attempts at jokes, yeah. which were references to things that were funny in the first film. So, for example, yeah. in Dead Man's Chest, uh, Jack Sparrow is in the brig, and he he holds up a, bo- a bottle, and he turns it upside down, and it's empty. And he says, why is the rum always gone? Which is a joke that was made the first time. Now, if they had just really done... sad joke. If they had just made maybe one reference to something that was said in the first film, Fine. But it was constant. Yeah. Everything was something that that had happened, like uh, a character pulling a sword off a wall, which is in the first five minutes of the first film, or something to do with the dog running away with the keys, or the character saying, hello, pop it. It just, all yeah. of it is just reusing old material, and it's not funny. It's lazy writing. The, the next yeah. aspect is that the, the second and third films are just filled with Jack Sparrow's, or rather Johnny Depp's character, Jack Sparrow, yelling, like screaming. Yeah. Just lots of him going, Yeah, mm-hmm. and, yeah cartoony, cartoony moments. And, and, and an overuse of CGI. For example, if you remember in the second film, he, he is made the chief of some island. Uh-huh. And about 10 minutes is spent on him running around with this giant tree strapped to his back and him like slapstick bouncing off cliffs and falling hundreds of feet off a cliff through a bunch of... I forgot about those ...of like wooden uh, bridges and all this stuff. Yeah. And it's just silly and it's not even entertaining. No, it's just dumb, yeah. So so essentially... I mean silly. Do you know the the conclusion I came to, James, was that Jack Sparrow Uh has been draxed. Uh, and by yeah no no flandered <laughs> um, flanderized sorry and by that I mean if you think of Drax and Guardians of the Galaxy if you're familiar with Marvel films in the first film Drax is a funny character because he has nuance in his character it just doesn't understand metaphors whereas mm-hmm. in every film after that he's just an idiot he's just dumb he doesn't understand anything exactly the same with Jack Sparrow the first film yeah he has this nuances character his character is interesting and funny and says yeah. and does things which are funny and then the, the following films they just make him an idiot and it's yes. incredibly frustrating because of how good and how enjoyable curse of the black pearl yeah still is even 20 odd years later no i was just gonna say it does speak to that future of disney and disney adjacent productions of an inability to keep the good characters consistent yep in the good ways and not just make them self-referential. The, the only things I will say in the pro column of these two movies is the performances of two actors in particular. The first one is Jeffrey Rush, who plays Barboza. Incredibly, In yeah. the third film. He is great. He's, he's fantastic. And I do believe he's in the fourth and fifth films and his, his role does diminish somewhat. However, yeah. in the third film, he is a lot of fun. He brought he makes that it, character back well. He makes a very good pirate. Yes. And uh, then we also have Bill Nye, who plays Squidward face Davy Jones. And I watched Jones. I watched some behind the scenes of how they actually put that together. And for the you know, for the time, we were re- reflected on this last week. For its time, its CGI was brilliant. It still and stands. Some of it, particularly Davy Jones, is still very, very good. Davy Jones like technical face. Oh, it's great. Is is mind blowingly good still. You watch oh, yeah. him doing his little like organ piece and it's just all this disgusting stuff going on in his head 
And it's just like mesmerizing and it's really well done. I, I saw the behind the scenes of how they filmed that. It's just Bill Nye sticking his chin out over over a piano for like 60 seconds. Yeah, he's just he just it's sat great. there. So so yeah. but then some of the side characters who are on that boat are much less impressively rendered. Oh man. Yeah, true. So, true, true. They they had limited computer time. Yeah, yeah. Bill Nye looks great, the rest of them, yeah, not so much. Yeah, uh, like and- Hammerhead Boy just looks like <laughs> one single plane yeah. of grey well just like someone did him on paint and then said alright print print that yeah. out he, that's our character we, we spent all the budget on Bill Nye he's, like, he's just an actual picture being held up in front of the camera <laughs> okay my final thought sorry I realise I said it was my final thought my other one is that and this will sound silly but it stretches the imagination too far. Oh, indeed, yeah, it, no, it does. In that, you know, the first film is about pirates who are cursed and they're undead. Yeah. Okay, f- okay, fine. I, I can, I can live with that. What's the phrase I'm looking for? Um, uh, um, ex- um suspension of disbelief. Sus- that's it. Yeah. So I can suspend my disbelief that these pirates are undead because of a curse of Aztec gold. I can get that. Well, yeah, because because they set the universe. They make they make the rules. They establish them. Right. and They obey them. But then suddenly, in the third film. The boat's sailing off a cliff, and suddenly uh, Jack Sparrow, because he got swallowed by a kraken, he's suddenly in a place so far away that's inhabited by rock crabs that if you sail off a cliff and suddenly wash up on a beach, oh, actually, you're dead, and then to get back to the land of the living, you just have to rock your boat long enough at sunset so that it goes underwater, and then if you do it at sunset, there's a green flash and you get back to you get back to the real world. Yeah. And then whilst you're in the real world, you, you are at night time surrounded by the souls of dead people, and they're just sailing in boats past you. Oh, and there's like, Dad. Oh, no. <laughs> and there's Dad. Oh, no, Dad's dead. So... So to me, and I know that sounds silly because the first film is based on no, pirates no. who turn into skeletons, but yeah. the third one, I'm just thinking, right, we, we have jumped the shark well and truly at this point. My belief has been suspended beyond repair, yeah. and this is now just silly. No, the, the and big... I, I, I realise that, hold on, I realise that they did that, it's completely of their own doing, because they killed off Jack Sparrow in the second one. Yeah. So they, they had to find a way to bring him back because he was the character that people were paying to see. Yeah, exactly. Okay, that's, difference... that's my rant over, but basically my recommendation is don't watch these movies. If you're going to watch one, watch Curse of the Black Pearl. It's good. It's yeah, fun. Just watch that three times. Leave it there. Uh, the big difference for the for the for the for this amongst many other franchises is that in the first film they set very basic universe rules. Undead pirates are undead. Easy peasy. Yeah. Here's how what they do to become not undead. Easy peasy. And that that that's that is established early in the film, and then it's dealt with at the end of the film. Whereas you get to film three, and it's like, here is the current problem that we're making up on the fly, and here's the current solution that we're going to enact in five minutes. Yep. And then there'll be a new problem that you'll have to overcome that you can forget about this one for because this one's no longer relevant. On with the film, and it's just it's a constant. Here's the puzzle. Fix this one. Here's the next puzzle. Fix this one, and none of it syncs up. None of it follows, and none of it kind of feeds into any other element. And also, there's no good female characters either. You've got T- no, Tia Dalma no, no. slash Calypso, who, uh, if you yeah. recall, becomes just a big pile of cuttlefish at the end, which uh, yeah probably says says a lot. It speaks volumes about their female character writing. Yeah, I was disappointed with the way they brought they took their female characters in those films. Okay. If you, dear listener, have seen or watched anything or finished a series of a TV show that you would like to review or read a book or done something that you think is worth reviewing, then do what Amel did most recently and send us that review. You can do that uh, audio-wise. You can just hit record on a recorder and send that to us because that would be great. Don't have to listen to me and James for an hour. Or just if you've got some thoughts, jot them down, send them over and we'll read them out. Indeed. Let me tell you, uh, my review for right now is that I've had a cat sleeping uh, on my lap nice. this whole podcast, and wow. it's a 10 out of 10. Surely that's that's incredibly warm. Oh, that's exactly what I need. It's winter. <laughs> I didn't actually ask you, James, if you'd watched anything. Have you watched or finished anything? Oh, no, yeah. I finished uh, I finished Cabin in the Woods. I watched that again. Oh, did you? It's just one of those films that you can keep going back to and keep enjoying. It is interesting. so good. Right, hold on, just, and, to, just hold on, just to give you some dear listeners context. Cabin in the Woods, I believe, is a 2012 horror movie which starred Chris Hemsworth before he was Thor. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's in it, and he's he does like the, there are there's so much subtlety in the way they they do character in this film. There's so much subtlety in the way they give you the plot and they give you the pieces. Um, 
while they pretend that they're not being subtle because they show you all the behind the scenes stuff going on. Yep. And you, you get fed all that, but there really is a second level to it. And you get to enjoy more and more of that second level the more you watch. This is such an intelligent film. It is. Um, and a really clever um, homage while parody of uh, all of horror ever. Where, sorry, just out of interest, where did you find the film? Is it on Netflix? It is on Netflix in the UK, right? Interesting, because yeah. I remember uh, James going out to see that movie in the cinema and like forcing myself to go because I'm not a fan of horror movies, really. Me neither. Uh, but I heard so much, so many good things about this film yeah. that I forced myself to go see it, and honestly, it was great. I really would like to rewatch it. And the performances are all just on point because they get asked to do two different things with their characters, basically. Yeah. And you don't even notice them swapping. Not really. And then you go back and you're like, oh man. <laughs> okay. It's really good. Well, James, that has uh, brought us to the end of our time here today. Thank you very much for all your contributions. It was always a pleasure. Just shouldn't breeze. Oh, thank you. Good chat. Okay. If you'd like to get involved, you can do seesawparade at gmail.com or Twitter at seesawparade. And if you've made it to the end of the show, Thank you very much for listening, and uh, I will keep you posted. Yeah, you're among the blessed few. I'll keep you posted on if I got the uh, the smorgasbord Nagalic job. Yeah, more exclusive news next time. <laughs> no, do, do you know what? Actually, one of the questions was, is there anything in the public domain that may embarrass Bord Nagalic at a future date? <laughs> <laughs> uh, do you know oh, what well. I said? Maybe you'll get the next job. Do you know what, do you know what I said? None whatsoever. Are oh, you lying? That was that was my answer. Look, it's fine. They'll never find it. They'll, they'll never catch me. <laughs> okay. On that note, goodbye, James. Bye bye. <laughs> Hi, Borna Gallic. Today was fun.